Dad the Man, the guy who's living life the right way by loving and leading his family. World class at his craft and admired by many, but more importantly, he sets the tone for what a great man, husband, and father looks like. That's who Dad the Man is. And the truth is, as men, husbands, and fathers, we experience and struggle with so many of the same things. And it's time we recognize that we're all in this together. So drop your ego at the door and join us in the conversation. Welcome to Dad the Man. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host. And today, I have one ask for you. If you are enjoying the show, if you enjoy this episode, if you are learning anything at all or have any takeaways, please do me a huge favor and help me to share the show. Whether that is sharing us on social media, whether that is texting a friend or mentioning it to someone at work, I cannot thank you enough for your support. So today's guest is none other than Sergeant Noah Galloway. Noah is a former United States Army infantry soldier who enlisted just hours after watching the Twin Towers fall on 9-11. After his Humvee was hit by a roadside bomb in his third deployment, he awoke five days later to find both his left arm and left leg amputated. The following years were shaded by depression, which were ultimately overcome in an effort to be a better human being and model for his kids. On the road to recovery of his physical and mental health, Noah began to snowball attention on social media, which led, him, led to him completing Tough Mudder races, landing the cover of Men's Health magazine, and starring in so many popular television shows, such as Dancing with the Stars, American Grit, Ellen, Good Morning America, True Life, CMT Country Music Awards, The View, and many, many others. In 2016, Noah became an author with the release of his incredible book called Living With No Excuses. He's now a motivational speaker and philanthropist where he raises money through his No Excuses Charitable Fund, which provides resources to various charitable organizations, and he is a true American hero. One thing I really appreciate about Noah is his outlook on life. His entire life story is rooted in service to others. And even during the times when he has struggled the most, he's never stopped pouring into other people and caring for other people first. But above it all, he's an incredible man, husband and father, and it's an honor to share this conversation with a guy that I am now honored to call a friend. So here's my conversation with the Noah Galloway. And we are live. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast. My name is Brendan Wall and I am your host. And today we have a guest with us. Um, it is such a tremendous honor, tremendous privilege to have the opportunity to chat with this guy with us today, the one and only Noah Galloway. And Noah, as we kick things off today, I really want to start the conversation first by thanking you for your service to this country. Um, and the main reason I want to start there is I have a, I feel a strong personal connection to your story um, and, and listening to your audiobook and, and hearing you express what it was like for you to, you know, on the morning of 9-11 to be watching on the news to see what's unfolding and then basically raise your hand and run straight to the front line of the war. You know, I, I feel such a strong personal connection to that story not just as a fellow American who also lived through that day, but I lost a family member that day, lost uh, my dad's youngest brother, uh, Glenn passed away that day. So 9-11 is, is a day that it's not just another day on the calendar. It's not just another day to, to share something on social media for, and for our family and for so many others. It really is a day that we'll never forget. And um, when I think about your story and how you got into the military that way, how you saw that what happened and you ran straight to the front lines to, to protect this country, to protect us as, as Americans, there's just no way I could ever articulate in words just the level of, of respect and, and appreciation 
that I have for you and, and brothers and sisters like you who did the same thing. Um, so I just want to thank you for your service. I want to thank you for making time for us today. I'm so pumped to get the chance to talk to you. So with all that being said, Noah Galloway, welcome to the show, my friend. Well, thank Brendan. Thank you, first of all, for having me on. Uh, I'm super excited to be on your show. And thank you for sharing that with me. That means that means a lot. It, you know, when, yeah, because of 9-11, I quit, you know, I was in college going to UAB and just went in the military. And it was more of just because, you know, I, I was 20 years old and physically fit and loved my country. So I went in. Uh, never did I expect life would end up the way it did, but mm -hmm. that means a lot that you said that. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm pumped to have you. So to, to now to, to steer this thing, I want to take it back. I want to give everybody a chance to get a feel for, for who you are, where you come from, a little bit more of a comprehensive view of you. So if you don't mind taking us back to your childhood, I'd love to hear you reflect on that, who you were as a kid, siblings, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, siblings, I grew up with three sisters, you know, and I'll tell you, I, I've heard, you know, I had I have friends of mine, the guys that say, oh, you don't know what it's like to have an older brother pick on you. <laughs> I had three redheaded sisters and uh, they, they are, they, you know, I love them dearly, but mm -hmm. they can be mean. Uh, so I, I dealt with that. Um, I grew up in a family that, you know, my parents are still together. You know, that's not always common, um, but we also grew up in a family where we, my parents worked really hard and because they worked really hard. And then back then there wasn't enough emphasis, emphasis on family connections. And mm -hmm. I didn't have that with my parents. Now that they're older, they're still around. Mm -hmm. We are forming a better relationship. Then the common thing you see that they're better grandparents than yep. they were parents. Yep. Um, but I don't use that. I, when I say that, I don't say that in a negative way. Now, do I wish the childhood could have been different? Yes. But I am a firm believer in what our parents did for us. One, you have to acknowledge the good and the bad, and then mm -hmm. you learn from it. And that's how you become a better parent is to mm -hmm. say, okay, what did my parents do that was good that mm -hmm. I want to, to reenact? And what parts could they have improved on that I'm going to make sure I do better with my children. Yep. And so my childhood was a lot of, I, I was a, I was a kid that was, I put a lot of, I gave my parents a lot of stress. I kind of just did my own thing <laughs> and was uh, out and about as late as I wanted to be because they worked all the time. And I took advantage of that. And uh, yeah, which, you know, then later led me to be someone that was adventurous, adventurous enough to want to join the military. So it all kind of worked out in the long run. Yeah, that's, that's great. That, that's such a good lesson too. Just like giving grace, right? Like that's one of the things I think just as society and like you could zoom this way out, like grace is a huge missing ingredient, I think. And so much, so many of our inter interactions. And I think about applying that back towards like to your parents, like you could mm -hmm. hold resentment. You could say, man, you know, my parents did this and I'm just going to keep doing it this. Or you can say, this was kind of where we started. This is what my parents did. I think we could do a little bit better. And then you yeah. can apply it. So have you, yeah. have you kind of like, I guess, done that? Like, what have you I learned have. or what have you done differently? My children, you know, I have three kids. Uh, my daughter is 12 and then I have two boys, one that is 14 and my oldest will be 17 in January. And I have a very close relationship with each one of them as a, we all spend time as a whole, my three kids, my wife and I, but then also um, I make sure and spend quality time with each one of them. And, all, and I've always mm -hmm. done that. 
And it's because there wasn't quality time growing up with my parents. My dad worked hard. I always joked and said that quality time with my dad was roofing a house. You know, and if I wanted to spend time with them, I had to go work with them, mm -hmm. which, you know, I loved and enjoyed. Um, yep. But I want to give my kids a little more than that. We spend quality time. If it's, you know, we have dinner at the table together. I didn't grow up in a house like that. My mm -hmm. wife did. And she's actually brought that more into our family. Uh, but then just spending time and playing games together, whatever it is, those are things that I have worked really hard to improve is building a stronger relationship with my children. That's awesome. And you mentioned this a little bit of a nuance in there, but you mentioned one on one time with each of the kids. And that's something like my wife and I have kind of been figuring that out recently. Yeah. Like we've got five and almost three year old boys. Um, so they're they're like very much, you know, a lot of energy, like they're just violent little animals, like they just want to play and wrestle and all this stuff. And so like the house is often chaotic. So we've we found recently it's been a lot of fun for us to just kind of disconnect like one-on-one -on -one day it's like you know maybe i'll take one to, the, to one playground and my wife will take one to the other like we might even be doing the same good. thing but it's so yeah. healthy like it's amazing it when we come back together we're just like recharged yeah it's like the that's glue exactly, starts working again that's exactly it because you know it's great to see the kids all together but they need to know that each one of their parents you know has a you know just like if someone asks me about my kids i can see a little bit of me in each one of them that and i can also mm -hmm. see their differences Yep. And it's good to get them separated because like my daughter is the youngest, you know, and a lot of time the youngest siblings don't uh, express as much because they're used to their older, older siblings doing the talking <laughs> for them. They become better at manipulating. Yeah. Um, but I found that, you know, if I separate my daughter from her brothers, oh, I can get her talking. And it's just like, whoa, it's just all of a sudden you just you know, opened up the floodgates and it's uh -huh. really good for her to have that time away from her brothers to mm -hmm. do some speaking on her own. Oh yeah. It's, it's huge. It's funny you say that my, uh, our two boys, the oldest is in school today. He's in his daycare program. The youngest only does two days a week. So he's at home today. And so he's got some one-on-one -on -one time with my wife today and I'm working from home. So like, I'm getting to see him and it's like, it's true. It's kind of like the ceiling comes off and it's just like, <laughs> let's go, let's go bust into big brother's room, play with all his toys. And he's just talking. Yeah. It's uh, it's night and day. It's like a different, different child. Um, but that it's cool to hear you kind of articulate that because it's like, it makes sense when you think about it. Right. Cause like, I think about like when I was pursuing my wife, I didn't try to date her along with a bunch of other people all around us all the time. Yeah. Like you kind of have to remove the dynamic to really get like a one-on-one -on -one connection. That's a really good example. I love that, Brendan. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's something that we're, we're trying to do a better job of staying consistent with for sure. It's trying to stay organized. You so, know, it takes a lot of work. You know, I think you said it exactly. You know, you said your wife and you are trying, we're always trying to do something. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I always find interesting when friends of mine, when they've had their first child, I always say to them, welcome to the world where now every night before you go to sleep, you'll think, how did I screw up my child today? You know, because <laughs> you constantly have that, that fear, but I uh -huh. told them, I always tell them, I was like, but having that fear is good because if you're terrified of not being a good parent, you're doing what needs to be done to be a good parent because it's those parents that don't care. They're like, ah, it's fine. They'll survive. That is not a good way of looking at it. Cause I think that as someone that, you know, as a veteran who has, you know, suffered injury and gone through depression, I'm very open about mental health mm -hmm. and mental health in our children is where all of it starts. Most veterans I know don't have issues because of the war. You know, that's a, that's a, an idea that is outdated. 
it has been, it can be traced back to our childhood, you know, things that happened to us in our childhood. And it takes overcoming that to move forward. But then it also means, okay, what are we doing for the next generation, you know, after us for our children? What are we doing to make my kids? They are aware that, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with seeing a, a, a psychologist, going to mental health. That is as common as seeing a doctor for a checkup because mm -hmm. it is important to take care of your mental health. And we need to really focus on that with our children and, and making sure that we're doing everything we can. I'm, I'm going on a long uh, rant, but, you know, it's all boils down to wanting to give the best for our children. Yeah. You, what you said there at the beginning, just knowing like if you do feel like you're not doing well enough, like that, and like that's the indication that you're you're doing what you need to be doing. You're moving yes. in the right direction one way yes. or another. And it's and, and I understand that. Like and, and I, my fear is that for, for and I felt this and I think a lot of other people probably feel the same way. It's kind of like that pursuit of perfection is like the I don't know the exact quote, but the pursuit of perfection is like the antithesis or the prevention from progress. It's like mm -hmm. you want to be perfect, like you want to have the perfect plan. You want to have the perfect day. You want to have like all the activities organized, but like, it, that's just never going to happen. Like that's <laughs> an ideal. We can always yeah. try to have that, but yeah. like we can't, that can't prevent us from just doing one thing better tomorrow and, mm -hmm. and keying it or just following that thought. Like I could do a little bit better or, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's my just not being learning, overwhelmed. Yeah. My best learning moments as a parent is, has been dealing with like an argument with my child, you know, one of the children, you know, to, to really work on not reacting, you know what I mean? And not mm -hmm. letting my anger escalate. Cause then it only raises their anger. Yep. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's taken time. And um, my children, what I've been really happy with is there is no, like I grew up in a household, you know, me and my three sisters and my parents, when we got mad, we got loud. <laughs> and that doesn't happen in this house. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, we disagree, but we talk about it and it's mm -hmm. taken time to get to that point. I remember the kids were a lot younger. This is several years ago, but we were getting ready for school one morning. I was frustrated. They were frustrated. Something happened. I yelled at them. I said, get in the car. And they went, they were loading up and I went through and turned all the lights off. And as I walked out and I got in the driveway, I said, Hey guys, I'm sorry. I was like, I got upset and I overreacted. And they were like, that's okay, dad. We, we should have, we weren't doing what we were supposed to be doing. We understand. And it was a great moment for all of yeah. us. And I'll tell you another thing. I am never afraid to apologize to my children. Cause you know, when you hear, you know, people say, you know, you don't want to show you're weak or so. I was like, no, I want my children to know because how we act is what they're going to become. And mm -hmm. you say it all the time about leading from the front. Mm -hmm. And that's what's important. And leading from the front means leading by example. And I show my kids that sometimes we screw up and it's okay. And you apologize and you learn from it and you move forward. And I've never hesitated to do that with my kids. If I mess up or make the wrong call, I let them know. I let them know. Hey man. I mean, we could wrap it right there. That's just gold. <laughs> that is gold. I mean, I've, I've seen that like with my five-year-old, we're starting to get to the point where he's your kids are so much more emotionally intelligent, I think, than we give them credit for. And I've, that's something that I've learned really from the age, I guess, when he was going from like three to five, everything that really led up to starting this podcast, just learning how to communicate better and how to like take ownership of being the example, like you're talking about, like, I can't yell at him for yelling. 
and expect that <laughs> to solve the problem. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And I, like, I found myself asking myself, well, why is he doing whatever he's doing? Why is he, yeah, why is he reacting like crazy to something tiny? And it's probably because I've been doing the same thing and modeling the wrong behavior for him. So then that's like where the whole, you know, giving yourself a little bit of grace and trying to just do a little bit better moving forward. That's a, that's my example of that, I guess, a very, you know, very real one. You also mentioned, you know, the fact that it's like, okay, wait a minute, why is he reacting this way? I think the easy way out is to react, to spank, to punish, you know, whatever it is, time out just without even thinking. But the moment of stepping back and saying, why are they acting this way? Because a lot of times, especially younger children that don't talk as clearly, well, or even when they can talk, they don't know how to express what they're feeling or they may not even yes. know what they're feeling yet. Well, mm -hmm. we're supposed to be the adults who can sit back and say, well, okay, this is what's going on and then figure out how to work around that. You know mm -hmm. what, as, as parents, that takes more work, but it's the thing we all should be doing. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely don't want to, like, I, I used to spank our kids when they were a little bit younger and I've, my wife and I have both made a point to not do that for that exact point yeah. is because it, it almost got to like a habit of, it just became lazy parenting for us. Like, I don't yeah. want to extend that on anybody else, but for us, it became a point of lazy parenting where we weren't figuring out the, the why, like, why is he reacting this way? Like, surely there's a reason or something that we can do to help him or guide him through his emotions. Like you said, and one thing we do with our kids now, or we've been trying to do, this is much easier said than done is when they are wound up trying to encourage them to just breathe, just like, don't yell anymore. Like, let's just take a deep breath. And then I have to kind of be like, pretend like I'm all mad. And then, all right, I'm gonna take my breaths. And it's yeah. funny. Like you can see it just like the physiological change, like their shoulders drop and they just, yeah. if you can get them to do it, they'll just, it changes things. But yeah. it, it, but it takes that asking that question why to, uh, to, to get to that root for sure. Now, I was, I've always been big on, it's not so much of an issue now that they're older, but like my middle child would really argue. He, he's really smart mm -hmm. and always has good arguments. <laughs> um, so for him, it's always been, he has to go to his room and calm down. I'll come in, see how he's feeling, if he's ready to talk. And I'll say, mm -hmm. okay, well, I'll come back. Because eventually we will, we'll get him, mm -hmm. get him to calm down and we can talk about what's really going on. And now as a 14 year old, I've been really impressed with, how well he's able to communicate like he, him and his brother are really close, but they were just spending a lot of time together and he was aggravated and we were outside all playing cornhole together as a family. And I just saw him getting irritated when the game ended, he kind of stormed inside and I followed him, followed him in. And he told me, he said, I just have to get away from him. Everything's just irritating me. I was like, <laughs> I understand that That's, we all go through it as that yeah. is okay. And I'm glad you didn't blow up and cause an argument because those things happen. So I was really impressed with how he dealt with it. Yeah, it's cool to hear you say that, like thinking about how he acted maybe when he was younger to now him really use utilizing that skill and like not yeah. teaching him to like it, the emotions themselves aren't bad. It's how we handle the emotions. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you teach a little a young kid to step back, regroup, handle the emotion that he's got and, and express it in, in an appropriate way that yeah. isn't just like screaming or smacking the, the person right next to him. But that's <laughs> awesome to hear the long tail of that. Like there's hope at the end of the tunnel that like yeah. some of these lessons, will, you know, they'll stick if, if we're committed to uh, to teaching them. Yeah, but it does. Of. It takes work. It takes work. And uh, it's always worth it. 
You know what I mean? Because you, we want the best for our children. You know, when people think that there's, there's not that much, you know, I, I feel like there's so much that goes into the front end of being an adult. And that starts with our childhood and things that, you know, just like when people say, oh, when I was, when I was a kid, I didn't have this, that, whatever. I was like, yeah, but you know what? How much better would your life have been if you did? You know what I mean? (laughs) Just because it wasn't a thing. You know, we go back far enough. At one time, people didn't have indoor plumbing. Well, guess what? I'm not (laughs) going to take that away from me or my children because at one time people didn't. You know what I mean? No, we're we're supposed to be moving forward and learning from things. Just like I said in the beginning. You know what? My parents, some things were good. Some things were bad. I'm not holding it against them. Mm -hmm. I'm just learning from it. You know, and, and as, as time has gone on, they've learned. I see them how they are as grandparents. They're different as how they were as parents because they've learned things. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it's all about. It's about improving and, and learning from each generation how to improve. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's a there's definitely an opportunity, and I would even say a responsibility to take mm-hmm. that, right? Like just like we started off with, take that generation to generation. What can we what can we continue doing? What can we stop doing? Yeah, you know, what can yeah. we start doing? Um, it's worth considering those things for sure. Um, so the, the next step I want to take in this conversation, you mentioned uh, depression and, and dealing with mental health. And, and as, as outgoing as you are and as forward facing as you are and as visible as you are to so many people through so many different avenues and channels, it, this seems to be a theme that you are very open to, to discussing and, and even excited, I think, to talk about and, and help people with. So it's something that I want to talk about because I think it's something that we are all dealing with as a society um, I think we've always probably dealt with it more than anybody has been willing to publicly talk about it. And then I think when you think about the COVID year that we had in quarantines and everybody being locked down, isolated, only looking on social media as a form of communication, which is a horrendous form of communication for the most part, I think it's something, um, I think, I think it's a bigger issue than we, we often believe it to be. So I'm very excited to have the opportunity to chat with you about this. And it's awesome to hear you talk about it. Like, you know, I was thinking about you being on the cover of men's health and you've got like this spread in there and you just look like a badass, just like this, you know, this big, bad, awesome dude. And then, but the, like, as a part of that, as a part of being the big, bad, awesome dude is talking about mental health and being willing to acknowledge and go there. So with all, saying all that, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear you kind of reflect on maybe when you realize that depression and mental health was something that you needed to focus on, um, something that you needed to take seriously. Yeah. So after my injury, uh, it was my second deployment to Iraq that I was hit by a roadside bomb, woke up six days later in a hospital, lost my left arm above the elbow, my left leg above the knee, my jaw was shattered, had injuries to my right leg, my right hand. So there was a lot going on. And it's been a lot of time, a good year in the hospital before I then got out of the army, left Walter Reed Army Medical Center, moved back to Alabama. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I went through severe depression, a lot of denial. You have different stages of depression and the denial stage I spent the most time in. You know, here it was acting like everything was fine, but it wasn't. I was, I quit taking care of myself. I was eating horribly. I was smoking cigarettes, drinking tons of alcohol, like self-medicating. Mm-hmm. And because I came off any medication, was so proud of myself. I don't need that crap, blah, blah, blah. But I did. 
and the body will find another way of coping. And I was coping in a way that wasn't healthy. Right. And I didn't really, I don't know. I, I didn't see it. It was what really was the big slap in the face for me was my children. My kids were really little. And I remember I walked into the living room one day and all three of them were sitting on the couch and I realized to my two boys, I'm showing them what a man is and that's what they're going to become one day. And to my little girl, I'm showing her how a man's supposed to act and that's what she's going to look for one day. And that terrified me. And I always tell people, I love sharing that. I mean, mm-hmm. I say that like it's scripted because I've said it so many times, but it's true. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that the life is not a movie, things don't just fix. I still <laughs> messed up. Every time I screwed up though, the thought of my three children were the motivation to get up and moving and trying a little harder and going a little further. And it did. Eventually things turned around and it was because I just kept at it, kept at it. And it was, I always tell people, you have to find that thing in your life. Then those of us that have children, if you're thankful and lucky enough to be a a parent, a father, if you're listening to this dead podcast, because you're Mm -hmm. a father, well, then your children should be your motivation to get through anything, you know, in life, there are obstacles throughout life. And too often people just stop at those obstacles, but no, if you have something that's more, that is stronger than your fears, then you can overcome any obstacle and getting back into shape, getting into mental health, taking care of myself, getting back into fitness, changing the way I eating all revolved around my three children. Everything that led to the cover of men's health was because of my kids. And to this day, if corporations have me come out and I speak on leadership, I tell people, you don't have to be a CEO of a business. You, If you have a family and you're not a leader in your household, you're not going to be a leader anywhere else. And we all have someone that looks that way too. Well, you're a mother or father. I tell my children, each one of them, my oldest son, I'm like, you're the oldest. You know what I mean? You're setting the standard. And even all the way down to my youngest, you're, you're an example for others. And so I always tell people, if you can't do that in the home, you can't fake it somewhere else. I tell people that if you're in a, in a job that you think, oh, I'll work harder if I have a job I like. No, reality is if you can't do this job, you can't do that job. And so everything starts in the home and it's a ripple effect that, that is affected by it. Yeah. Amen. God, that's so good. You know, one of, there's only, there's very, very, very few books that I will just kind of like blanket recommend to everybody. And one of them is man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl. I'm not sure if you've ever read that one. I've not read it. I know what book that is. It's so good at the root of that book. You know, it's about, it's about a guy being in the, in concentration camps and the Holocaust. And he's, I mean, you can imagine what the circumstances are, what outlook might look like on a day-to-day basis when you see, you know, living these horrors. And, and the root of the book is having a purpose, a mission, like something that is so much greater than the fear and the circumstances they're seeing every day. And he just attaches himself to, I'm, I have to get out of here so that I can see my wife again one day. And he just holds on to that. And, he, and it, the, the book is just beautiful expressing that whole notion. But that came to mind when you were talking about that. And I think that's so important. Like if you can't at first, if you can't at first kind of start pulling yourself out of it for you, remember that somebody's watching like your kid, like your kids are watching. You may not, like you said, you may not have the big job. You may not have a whole team of people. You may not have the company you want, whatever. But if you've got a family watching you, like that's the most important thing. Yes, it is. You know, and I'll tell you, and it's, it's sad to know that sometimes relationships don't work out. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they don't. And I have told several of my friends, 
leading up to whether they have to decide whether they stay together or get a divorce. Mm -hmm. You have to think like sticking it out till the kids grow up is not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. How the relationship you're in, if it's not good and healthy, well, guess what? You're teaching your children that it's okay to be in an unhealthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I'm divorced and I have a great me, I have actually have two ex-wives. I was really young, had my oldest son, rushed mm -hmm. into a marriage when I was injured, uh, had two more children, then we split up. You know what? I have a great relationship with both of those women and their significant others because we are raising these kids with, with, you know, we have shared custody of it. And that has actually been better for our children than if we would have stayed together and just not been happy. And, yep. you know, you don't set out in life to do that. Hopefully. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a, I tell my kids all the time, take your time. Don't be rushing into marriage and kids. <laughs> but, you know, how we act, everything we do is training our children to do the exact same thing. If you want your kids to be successful, well, then be a hard worker and show them that. You know, if you want them to be good at communicating, communicate well with them. If you want them to be comfortable with showing their emotions in the correct way, well, then you have to do it. Just like you said, it's all about showing them that you do the exact same thing that you're expecting from them. Yep. And that's scary as hell. That's a big <laughs> responsibility to take it on. Is. But you know what? It like it, it's, I guess it's easy to just kind of stick your head in the sand and say, they're going to grow up to be who they are, that they are, who they are. But I, it's one of those things. Like I, I always say that ignorance isn't bliss. Like no. I'd rather know that I need to bear this responsibility and I'd rather own it now rather yep. than not, and then look back and regret it. Like we've got yep. the opportunity now, wherever we are, wherever you are, like whatever it is, like you even said it about your parents now, like they're better grandparents than they were, maybe than they were parents. Like it's never yep. too late. They can still like, you know, plant their flag and, and march in the right direction. You know, whenever, whenever they do bear that responsibility, whatever, you know, whatever yep. that is, whatever that looks like. Exactly right. Um, I want to come back to talking about uh, marriage with you, but I want to first, I'm going to put a pin there and I want to circle back to, um, to the depression side of things. And the, the question I want to ask you is um, around how you approach people who maybe you think need help. So maybe you've got a friend, like, <clears throat> let's just say for the context of, of this audience, maybe you've got a young dad, maybe, maybe he's stressed about, you know, financially stressed, and he feels like he's got the world on his shoulders. And maybe he's at, like you said, maybe he's at a job he doesn't love. Maybe you know, some of these components are coming in, maybe he's not in great shape, not taking care of himself. And he just feels like he's stuck and it leads to depression and he doesn't know which way to go. He feels like he's got a lot to do. Maybe he's listening to this conversation and says, man, that's a lot of things I got to do better. How would you talk to that person, that young dad to say like, Hey, here's the first, you know, one, two, three things we need to do to start moving you in the right direction. Well, you know, I just, I, I can answer that because I literally had this conversation with a friend last night. Wow. Uh, we were talking about, we were actually talking about a time that, not too long ago, he was struggling. I didn't know, me and other close friends of his didn't know about it until after he was through it. And I got on to him about that. Mm -hmm. I said, you have to share those things. You have to be open about it. You know, one thing I always tell people is the most complicated organ in our body is right between our ears. And it's the one that we neglect the most. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's something wrong with your heart, your heart, you see a cardiologist. And everyone's okay with that. And you don't hesitate to go and see a doctor if there's a problem with your heart. If it starts acting irregular, well, that'll stress someone out. 
Well, when we have problems where we're depressed, we don't know what's going on. Sometimes we can trace it to work, finances, the family, whatever. Sometimes we don't know why we've lost motivation. We're struggling. Well, that's when it's time to go see. I actually stress people to see mental health, to see a professional at least once a year, even when you're not going through depression, because this is the one thing that is the most complicated organ in our body that has to be taken care of. And when someone is going through those those times of struggling, we have to get used to going and talking to a professional. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing weak about it. In fact, I think when it comes to depression, giving up and just letting depression take over, that is weakness. Standing up and getting help, that takes real strength. And it's not easy, but it takes real strength that is impressive. And sometimes you just have to guide someone that, because I told my friend, I said, if you ever feel that way again, let me know. I will, you know, I will be there to support you in finding help and moving forward in the best way possible. Because sometimes, yeah, it may be a chemical imbalance, maybe a little medication, maybe not. Sometimes having someone outside of our personal circle to mm-hmm. share things with, to talk to, mm-hmm. makes a world of difference. You know, being able to let get things off of our chest or get the perspective of someone who does not have a dog in the fight. They mm-hmm. just want to know how you're doing. Sometimes that's that's all we need. And when it comes to mental health, that is, if we want to be successful, if you want to be happy, I know that me personally, I could have not got better. No one would have really questioned it. I lost an arm and a leg in combat. I lost my career in the military. I could, you know, just be skating around through life, act like I was when I was going through my depression, like everything was fine. People felt sorry for me, but they're like, ah, he's been through a lot. Mm -hmm. I personally am so grateful for the life I have and the way my life is with my children, with my wife, everything. And that's because I took care of my mental health. Mm-hmm. That is why things have gone the way they have. You know what I mean? Mental health doesn't mean you'll be more successful at work, but you know what? It helps you accept things in your life that you can be happy about that you've overlooked sometimes. And it's more than just, and as I say, overlooked. I don't mean that people need to just realize what they're grateful for. That's easier said than done. I'm talking about real mental health where you talk to somebody and you overcome whatever problems you have. Some of those problems may be from your childhood mm-hmm. and you don't realize it, you know, but you have to face these things and start the improvement. And no, I, when I have friends of mine that, that, they, that say things like that, and that friend I was talking to, he's a very tough guy. You know, he's the mm-hmm. kind of guy you look to, he's the silent type. Mm-hmm. When he speaks, everyone listens. Yep. So I got on to him. I was like, don't ever do that again. I yeah. said, because to me, that looks that actually looked weak doing that. I'd rather see you step up and tell me and I'll and I, we can because I told him, I said, what would you want to do for me? And that's what turns it that's around. It's a great question. You let people know what would you want to do for me? Well, that's mm-hmm. what I'm gonna do for you. And I use the same example when it comes to when people don't take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And they decide it's, well, hey, I'm not worried about it. And I'm going to use an example, smoking. Mm-hmm. You know, when people say, well, you got to die of something. I always <laughs> tell people, what if you don't immediately die? What if you just get in such poor health that your family has to quit what they're doing to care for you? Now that changes people's, then they're, then they don't, no one wants to be a nuisance. You know yep. what I mean? Nobody wants to, you know, because there are people that end up in that position. They, mm-hmm. they don't want to. They have to be. 
And if you can prevent that, sometimes you can't prevent it, but smoking and things like that can prevent that if you're by quitting it. And when you throw that at people where it's like, what if that affects other people? So just mm-hmm. like that, I told my friend, what if I was struggling again? Would you want me to tell you? He yep. was like, of course. And that's the, that can, I think that can be the purpose that you were talking about, like having like a purpose that you can attach it to, even if it is like, I'm not going to be a burden on my family. Like I'm not like, I think that's, I think that can serve that purpose. So in hearing you say that, I think number one, it's express it, like get it off, like to a friend, to a professional, to both like pray about it, like express it, get it out. And then to find a meeting that can allow you to, to hold on to it. Literally, it's going to probably feel like you're pulling yourself out of it. And, you know, the number one thing to do is talk to a professional. You know, it's like if I had to rewire my house, well, I'm not going to call a plumber and talk to him. I need wiring done. So I need an electrician. Same thing if I have if I have plumbing problems. I'm going to yep. call a plumber, not an electrician. And I'm not going to do it myself because I am not certified in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is a big job. Yeah. That I need someone who has the education, the knowledge, and, and and just been through the studies and read everything that needs to be done to mm-hmm. help me, you, whoever. So that's what it comes down to is all about, you know, opening up to someone who, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like They're going to give you the advice you need or the direction yes, you need, yeah, the right advice. Yeah, They're going to tell yes. you which directions you actually are going to get you where you want to go. Um, There's a part of your book that I think is so relevant here. And you use the term rebranding yourself in the book. And you talk about how you kind of stop the drinking Mm -hmm. and you kind of have to deal with your friends and people kind of being like, Oh, he's not going to come out and drink with us. Like he's going to go be this, like this new guy is like too good to go out and drink. Like I do this. I'm sorry. I interrupted you, but like every so often I will run into somebody that I used to, the only time I knew them was when I drank all the time. And yep. I was like, oh, hey, good to see you. You say you're going to get together, but you never do. And a lot yep. of them, they've moved on. They don't drink like they used to either. We just went through a phase and you move on. And some of them haven't changed, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you just, life goes in a different direction. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? Like, I think that's a huge, huge, huge point because like, I think about like myself and I think about a lot of my friends and people that I, I know and used to know, like, we kind of grow up and then we're in certain circumstances. And then let's just say you're, you're in college and you're in this, let's just use my example. Like I was in a fraternity and it's a lot of drinking and a lot of party and then a lot of, not a whole lot of, whole lot else. Like that's kind of <laughs> the foundation of it at that point in time. And then, like you said, you get to know people in those circumstances. And then I think there's like a fear after that, when you continue life on, and then you're like in the real world and you have to say, okay, I'm doing something that I it doesn't like, it's not who I am. Like there's a dissonance between what I need to be doing, who I feel like I really am and like my old habits. And I think there's a gap there that a lot, oftentimes we're scared to jump from point A to point B because we fear that some of the, maybe the relationships we have are going to, people are going to judge us or people aren't going to want to hang out with us anymore. Yeah. We fear change. Like as, as it can be as complicated as changing your, you know, what you do socially to, I mean, ask someone to change from an iPhone to an Android or Android <laughs> iPhone. They don't know you. You want to get into an argument with somebody? You know what I mean? People fear change. Green text you know and what? blue text. When you, yeah, I know. <laughs> Whenever I, if I text somebody in this green, I'm like, oh, that poor soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. But um, you know, when it comes to 
Oh, that just distracted me. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, social. You know, when it comes to if you're living a life that isn't where you're happy and you know it's not putting you in the direction you need to go, well, you have to change everything in that world. You can't expect to be in to make the cover of men's health and still eating McDonald's. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You have to break that relationship with McDonald's. Hey, I still wish McDonald's well. I hope they continue to be successful for those who need it, but I'm going to move on. Yep. You know, and I think that that's what's really important is people need to realize that just because you transition to another time in your life, you're not cutting those people off. You're not making them their enemies. Mm-hmm. You're just choosing a different path and you're both on different roads. And sometimes that happens. It can be tough. I cut things off with a dear friend that I grew up as my best friend as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And shortly after I was injured, I completely broke things off because it wasn't conducive to the world I needed to be in. And I've, I always think about that and I always wish him well, but I had to completely separate things because of the extremes mm-hmm. of the lives that we were living. Yep. And I always think about him and hope he's doing well and hope that he got out of whatever he was in, but mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't be there because I had to think of my family first and it, it can be tough, but you know what? Things, when you have something that is more important mm-hmm. in those fears, those obstacles, my children are more important than that. Yep. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Having the priorities in line and having that North star to, to guide you is, is huge. So I want to transition. I, I mentioned I'd, I'd uh, put a pin in marriage and come back to that. So I want to kind of lead into that from the side. And I'd love to get you to tell um, a, the story, one of the stories from your book. And it, it's the story about the hammer. When you are, it's after the, um, after the tornadoes in, in Alabama, I think those were around 2010, 2011, um, somewhere in that time frame, if I remember correctly. And you just, you know, you went hell bent on serving everybody, helping rebuild the communities, get people's legs back under them, all that kind of stuff. And in that story, there's a story about the, or in all that, there's a story about the hammer. Can you tell us that story? Yes, I would love to. So a um, little backstory. Yeah, there was three days of tornadoes that went, I think, from Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia. I think it went all the way up to Toronto. I think last time I was researching it, but it was in April that they hit and the majority of the tornadoes hit in Alabama. And what was mm-hmm. really bad was a really big F4, F5 hit in the morning, took out all the sirens. So then when the second group, second wave of tornadoes hit, you had a lot more, de- the death toll went up because a lot of people were outside finding you know, debris from a couple of counties away. So that was a big thing that happened. Well, you know, the days after I immediately volunteered uh, to go and help, and here it was, I'd already been injured. I remember every time I showed up to volunteer, I thought these people were going to put me in like receiving donations, even though I know how to roof houses and do stuff like that. Nobody questioned me. I was out, you know, and uh, one day I pull up to a location and it's about to storm. This is about five days after the tornadoes had hit. Now a storm's coming in. You have people whose roofs and and everything are still gone. And this guy pulls up in the parking lot in a panic. He's like, the rain's coming. I have to get my house tarped. So a group of us grabbed some tarps. We took off to this guy's house. Mm-hmm. One side of the house, two-story house, wall is gone. You know, you're seeing the whole inside of his house. When we get on the roof, we're now, well, I've got this hammer, and I'm nailing this tarp. Well, then this hammer just flies out of my hand. 
And there it goes into the, the rubble of where that wall, that entire two-story wall had collapsed. And I'm like, oh man, you know, of course I'm thinking, well, that sucks, but you know, whatever. Well, I say something to the guy, the owner and his face. Then he's suddenly like, it's okay. It's okay. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry about your hammer. He's like, no, nah, it was my father's. And, you know, he had passed it down to me. And, but then he's like, he felt bad. And then he didn't want to upset. He was like, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. But I could see it in his eyes. Yep. And it, it really bothered. So then me with my, you know, prosthetic leg and I'm, <laughs> everyone's like, don't go out there. Like you could easily step on a nail. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm, I walk out there and I'm just, I remember thinking I have to find this hammer. Yep. You know, and I was so bothered by it. And I'm looking at, I'm standing in the middle, all this rubble, rubble, and I'm like, I'm never going to find it. And I look over and on the bush, hanging on the, on one of the branches <laughs> was the hammer. And when I got it and I gave it to that man, he was, he got very emotional because that hammer was all he had left of his father and whatever relationship he had with him. And I, first of all, was like, don't ever hand this to a one-armed man on your roof. That's a, that was bad on your, bad call on your, your end. But I was like, I'm just glad we found it. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it was, it was something significant in his life. And I am just glad I found it. Yeah. So I, I, I before I prompted that, I said I would tie this into marriage. And I want to tell you that when I, I was, as I was talking, I was like, yeah. I wonder where he wanted to go with this. So I want to tell you the lesson that I kind of derived from that. And I listened to your audiobook twice. And the second time I listened to it, this is what I picked up. I think it's, it's, it's easy for us. Like if we see something that is not necessarily important to us, it doesn't mean that it's not the most important thing to somebody else. And I started thinking about that. Like if I can apply that in my marriage, which that definitely happens. Like my wife and I have different things that we think are important, right? Like we get along and we communicate well, but it's not always obvious to one or the other. And the example I was thinking about was like, my wife is, um, she has this like strong feminine nature about her, like came from God. I know it to be true. And she wants to make our house a home. Like she wants Mm -hmm. it to be comfortable. She wants our kids to like uh, the holidays. She keeps saying, I want them to feel the magic, all this stuff. And so she'll go to, you know, target her home goods from time to time and spend, you know, 30, 40, 50 bucks on like little things like trinkets that they make the home cozier. Right now I'm looking at the credit card bill. Like (laughs) what the hell is this? Like, you don't need this. Like, it's stupid. Like it's, there's no apparent or obvious value to me, but to her, like she's just expressing what God put in her to make our house a home. And that is like, paramount importance of her to express that like that's like her her love language to the family and and when I was listening to that story from you I was like ah like this all kind of came came to color the second time around like the hammer wasn't of obvious value to you but to that guy he was like was that was my hammer you know I I just think there's so much value in that if we can take that and just apply just to consider like we aren't like the golden barometer of importance of everything that we view like other people are going to have things that are important to them you share like, oh man, I love that. That's what came out of that story. Cause that's exactly right. What I'm, I'm really proud of is my wife is a really good communicator and we both communicate well and we have our differences of opinions and, and what's really good is acknowledging what, you know, well, I think the best thing that her and I do is to tell the other, well, this is how it made me feel. And to, to, to acknowledge, okay, I didn't, you know, to say, I didn't mean for that to happen, but to acknowledge, and I do it with the kids. I know this is how it made you feel. And let's work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, in our house, 
my wife is the one who makes the house a home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we're the opposite. I'm the one with the spending problem. She's much better with money. She's, we're at the point where she's ready to put me on an allowance and I'm okay with it because I probably should. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So, uh, so on the, on the thread of marriage, if you think back um, over the relationships that you've had and you could go, maybe go back in time or, or give this advice to somebody else um, who's maybe about to get married, what is, what's the best piece of marriage advice that you would either give your younger self or, or someone that you know today? Uh, you know, I, as I say this, it sounds corny, but it's the same thing. Amanda and I, whenever we meet other couples, older couples, we ask them the same, we always ask them, what's your, what do you say? And everyone always says the same thing. Communication, communication is key. You know, you're going to disagree. You're going to have different opinions. You, you know, that's all okay. But mm-hmm. communicating that is the difference between a fight and working something out or Mm -hmm. that moment of, you know, holding a grudge. Even if you're not fighting, you're holding a grudge. They don't know what's wrong. They're holding a grudge and there's no communication happening at all. And people drift away. It's all about communication because everything boils down to that. You can't Mm -hmm. get through anything if you don't sit down and discuss it with the other person and know where they're coming from, what their goals are, what they're doing, and them doing the same to you. It's not, you know, you can't have one person in a relationship, just take, 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 and another one giving, giving, giving. It wears the two of them out. It needs to be, it needs to be shared and everything to be laid out in a way that, you know, is, is, is that everyone's happy. You know, like, Mm -hmm. for example, you know, my wife likes to have the bed made. When we get up the bed, look, I'm not used to that. My kids are like, what? You know, but now over time, everyone gets up and they make their beds and the house mm-hmm. looks great. And we're, you know, everything's a little bit more improvement every day and who we are. And that was, I'm actually looking back. I love that now. Uh, I prefer our bed made before I did not. That was not something that ever <laughs> crossed my mind. <laughs> um, but it was it actually worked out and it was about us talking and her sharing and saying, no, I just think this is how I want the house to look. And I'm like, okay, let's mm-hmm. do that. Yep. Yeah. That's huge. And it, and it takes two parties there, right? Like somebody has got to have the courage to communicate whatever that it is that's on their heart. And the other one to say, you know what? They gotta I, listen. Can, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I found, I have been terrible with listening. I've, I have seen like, my wife is a great communicator. She will communicate something to me. And in the past, I've just said, okay, I'm going to fix it immediately rather than just hear it. Yeah. And then like, let's talk about it. Like, it, I think that might be just like our nature as men, like let's fix things, let's fix things rather than let's just hear what the other person has to yeah, say no, I, and meet I, them I where they are. I'm horrible at that. Cause all the time it's, do you even listen to me? I'm like, Oh, what did you say? Like, I want to, <laughs> yeah. I want to answer this correctly, but I probably have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No, that's, that's all awesome advice. You know, it's, it's funny. You said it's corny, maybe overplayed advice, whatever, but like the best advice is it's know, The corniest sayings are sayings we've all heard a million times. And there's a reason why, because mm-hmm. they are accurate. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? The same leading from the front, you know, you are the sum of the people you are around. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not the smartest person, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. All these different things are true. Mm-hmm. That's why we hear them all the time. And yep. communication, never going to bed mad. Of course, we just ran into an older couple. We met the other day and 
the husband, they were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And my wife asked, what was the, what was their secret? And they were talking about communication. Then he goes and never go to bed mad. Just both agree to discuss it in the morning. It was so funny. (laughs) You know, it it was his sense of humor that made it really good. Um, But it's true. You know, that communication is so important. Yeah. Yeah. That's gold. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to comment on that and then, and then I'll change the subject, but my, uh, my wife and I, we've kind of got like an agree, like if we are arguing about something at night and we're like, I talked about this, I think the first episode I put out with, uh, with Nate check, it's the founder of run. He was just saying he hates the advice of never go to bed angry because he's like, more often than not, we wake up in the morning and it's like, if we can have a little coffee and talk about it, it's just gone. So like my, <laughs> like my wife and I now it's just kind of like, I love you. Good night. We'll talk about it in the morning and, right in the morning. There yeah, and yeah. then come back in the morning, you know, life's you life know tends to be well, a little simpler. And that's a person who knows that him and his wife do better sitting down, having coffee, talking about it. So you find what works for you. You know, yep. some may do better to sit in bed and talk about it. And some are better at just, Hey, let's talk about it in the morning and, and really relax and not react. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, there's, there's a way to do it. Y'all, you have to find what works. I know for me and my wife, Amanda is my best friend mm-hmm. and we do everything together. And to have that is amazing. And because of it, we are able, we're so similar in the way we act and the things we want to do in life. And so we know what works for us and how we communicate. And sometimes, yeah, we will have a moment where we'll just tell the other, hey, I feel like we're not as connected. I feel like we need to, what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that, that happens, you know, we're not yep. perfect yep. and life doesn't just fall into place as easily as it can. Being a, a husband, wife, and parent takes work and oh, yeah. it's always worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Um, so last couple of questions here for you you've done a lot in your life. Like you've seen a lot. I mean, you've, you've been able to experience a lot. I mean, just to rattle off a few things. I mean, you, you fought in a war, you had an extremely traumatic experience coming out of that. You battled out of a depression. You were on dancing with the stars and and American grit and like on the cover of men's health. And like you do all the speaking and and you get to hang out with all these cool people and you get to do a lot of, you've just been, you've seen a lot, you've experienced a lot in your life. You're, 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 beautiful family, married, three awesome kids. Like you've got it. It's, you know, looking, looking at you, it's like, this guy's got it all. Is there anything in particular that you are the most proud of in your life? Oh, it would be without a doubt. My, my children, uh, my children, my family, you know, when it comes to my kids and my wife, our home, I mean, it is, I, I sometimes I tell people all the time when they ask how I'm doing, I'm like, I almost feel guilty because I want to be like, my life is perfect. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you should be jealous of my life because it's, it's great. We have a nice home. Even my cat and dog get along. You know what I mean? Like it's, everybody is just living in harmony and it's perfect. And what I'm most proud of, I would have to say my children, uh, because the relationship I form with them and it's continually con- constantly growing and, my wife, Amanda, is so amazing as a stepmom that everything is just coming together perfect. And the way my children are, I am very proud of. Like, I'm very affectionate with my children. I'm always letting them know I love them and spending time with them. And I see that now as they're growing up and how that's affected them and how comfortable they are with affection. And I love that. So that, without a doubt, is the thing that I am most proud of. 
That's awesome. All right. So, um, last question as we wrap up, I, I, I like to ask this question because I think it puts life into perspective and it forces us to zoom way, way out and think about the life that we want to live, um, with the rest of the time that we've got left. And it's around the idea of legacy, right? So I think, you know, oftentimes legacy just gets thrown around. It's like, how many zeros are we leaving in the bank account? How big's the house? Like all this stuff, generational wealth is a term that gets tossed around a lot. But when I think about it, you know, when I think about legacy, I think about like the moments, the memories, the lessons, the, the little, the, those little things that we, we experience with our children and with our, our spouses, the people that mean the most to us. And, you know, those, those lessons, those moments, those memories, those things that our kids are going to have the opportunity, God willing, if we're able to, you know, leave them behind, they're going to carry those things with them through the rest of their lives. And that's kind of the, the way I think about legacy. So if, if I pose that question to you and say, you know, if you're able to leave your kids here behind on, on earth and you want to leave a legacy to them, like, what do you want your kids to remember about their dad? Well, you know, as I hear you ask that question, I think of a question that would be, what, what are people most common to say? What would you so much rather have someone say, wow, so-and-so had so much money when they passed away or wow, you know what? I loved how kind so-and-so was, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So when it comes to my kids, I hope that I pass on to them, you know, I've, I've cared for them. I've loved them. I've nurtured them in a way that they generally miss me. Not that they were ever impressed with the fact that I was on dance with the stars or men's health or anything like that, that mm -hmm. they felt like they knew I loved them, that they, they know that. That's what I want to pass on to them. If I, if the day I leave this earth, I hope that they, that my three children are able to say dad loved us and, and we felt it and we saw it. That's what I want. I, that is more important than any, any inheritance I could leave them or, you know, anything else to brag about is I want my kids to know that I love them wholeheartedly and always put them first. That's what I want to leave behind. So good. So, so good. Uh, no, do you have a second for one extra question? Oh, man, you I'm here. You okay, got cool. me. You All can right. ask whatever you want. Cool. I'm this, loving this. This is, this is going to be, this is a little bit of a, a left turn, I guess, maybe out of the world of, of parenting or relationships, but it's one that I want to ask you because I'd love to hear your opinion. Like me as a person, like I told you, like my story, like 9-11 story, my grandfather fought in World War II. Like I have, I have so much appreciation for, for people who are willing to serve in the military. And I, it, you know, in my heart, I want to help serve veterans here in the United States, but there seems to be a, maybe this is just me, but it seems like I have a lot of confusion in the best way to do that. The best way to step forward and maybe just put my best for best foot forward to serve veterans here in the United States. You hear people sometimes talk about different organizations, like Money may not always go where the money says they say yeah. it's going to go, that yeah. kind of stuff. Like there's a little bit of cloudiness. So if I was just going to softball this question to you, what's the best way for you know, me as an individual, us as a country to support our veterans better? How, how would you answer that question? You know what? I get that question a lot. And usually I tell people, you know, look local. You know what I mean? There's a lot of great small organizations that are doing things. And, and there are some big organizations that are good. And sometimes when they get too big, they kind of lose their side of things. So I have a charitable fund that I started to support organizations. I just had a meeting this morning with a group and 
it's not even about veterans. It's a group that is something I never thought of is when kids are in foster care, once they reach 18 to 21, they're just put out of the system. And a lot of them end up homeless and things like that. So this is a, mm-hmm. a group that I'm going to start working with. Anyway, that there's that. But as you were talking mm-hmm. to answer you, Brendan, and tell you what you can do for veterans is there's a lot of veterans out there that are fathers. My thing to you, and, and I, I hope you take this and you run with it, mm-hmm. keep doing what you're doing. Keep building this brand of dead the man and sharing stories of different fathers and their and their styles of parenting, because there are a lot of men out there that need to hear this, need to hear from you and your guests. And so what I would suggest, and you take pride in and just keep growing, is this podcast, because it's, over, it's going to reach more and more people every day, and it's going to help a lot of veterans, because we as veterans are no different than everyone else. You know, sometimes we get, it gets skewed because it's like, oh, there's the veterans and then there's the civilians. It's like, no, we're talking about dads and that's what you're good at. And you're, you're a good father yourself. And the fact that you started this podcast to share stories of other dads is impressive and shows what kind of father you are without even me witnessing it. And my advice to you would be keep doing this because it is going to help so many people. And a lot of those people are going to be veterans because there's a lot of us out there that have gone through, Hey, you know, if you can find other guests that have experienced long deployments away from their children and how to reconnect, you know, there's those things out there. Uh, but regardless, just having different dads on and letting people like myself hear those podcasts, that's where it's at right there. I think you need to keep doing what you're doing, Brendan. That's awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. That uh, that that means a lot. I hope that's true. I hope that's what plays out. That's uh, that is the goal with this. So um, yeah, thank you so much for for saying that. And thanks so much for making time for us today. This is oh, awesome. Like I said at the beginning, huge huge honor, huge privilege. Um, just so grateful for you and you know your service to to the to the country and and, and all the other ways that you serve people. It's you know service is definitely something at the core of who you are, um, and that's something that I really respect. So this is been an awesome conversation. Um, it, what, where's the best place for people to, to find more about you, follow you online? Where do you want to send people? Uh, so I have my website, noahgalloway.com, but then I'm also on social media. Uh, Noah Galloway Athlete, all certified accounts on Facebook, Instagram. Twitter is Noah underscore Galloway. But yeah, I'm all over social media. Share a lot of the kids, my wife, my traveling, whatever. But people can reach out to me. That's how you found me. Yep. Uh, so yeah, if anybody's interested in following me, I, I encourage them to do so. Awesome. Well, we will, uh, we'll link it all up in the show notes. Noah, thank you so much again for making time for us. Um, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Brendan. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support until next time. Remember to love and lead from the front. See ya. Oh, 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 oh,